Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton with Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. You're in for a treat. Today, we're going to be talking leadership, leadership, and guess what? A lot more leadership. And we're going to be talking with one of our favorite business leaders. You may recall our guest today on, on previous manufacturing-focused episodes, but today, it's all about his story. So let me introduce our featured guest here today. Our guest is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and leadership guru. I, I told y'all. Uh, he spent 30 years with the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, where he served in a variety of roles including Director of North American Manufacturing and Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. Our guest also serves on uh, several boards of directors for several organizations to include the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. He's also the CEO and President of Linked Excel, a business operating systems architecting firm. We're going to find out exactly what that is. So join me in welcoming Mr. Billy Taylor. Billy, how you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. Thank you for having me. Uh, that was a really nice introduction. I start to ask you, who was that guy you were introducing? But thank you for introducing me. Thank you for having me. You bet. Always a pleasure. And, and today we, get, we, we really have the honor, but also the luxury of spending all of our time learning more about your story. You know, you've joined me as a co-host here on, I don't know, half a dozen episodes where we've interviewed a, a variety of other folks. But today it's about the Billy Taylor story. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you again. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's get to know you better first. Some folks that may have seen those earlier episodes, they probably know that uh, you're a great storyteller. They probably have a, an appreciation for all those leadership roles you've had and probably an appreciation for what you do now, helping other organizations excel. But let's assume they haven't heard a lot of that. And let's get to know Billy Taylor first. So Billy, first up, where did you grow up and give us the goods on your upbringing a little bit? Mm -hmm. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, as they say, Cowtown. Uh, uh, my whole life was there. Uh, and then uh, actually all of my, my schooling and upbringing was in uh, the Texas area. So I'm the, I'm the oldest of four boys. So I have three younger brothers and uh, I let them know who's the oldest too. I don't miss that opportunity, but no, uh, grew up in Texas and in, in a household of, of strong standards. Uh, really, leadership was at the forefront of our house uh, growing up for my uh, for my mom and the boys and my parents. It was always around what's the standard. All right. So, so I want to ask about that. That's probably the most unique. And we've asked thousands of people this question about their upbringing, and I don't recall a single answer like that. So a house of standards. So give me one example of a clear-cut standard, a high standard that your parents put in place as you're growing up. Well, it started with education, right? It wasn't the old cliche. And I'm going to be very transparent on, on the call, right? And inner cities where I grew up, uh, people thought it was either athletics or entertainment mm. that was your ticket out. Not in our household. My mother had a standards around education. And she would always say wealth is education. Wealth is learning, right? And she'd always say, when you know better, you can do better. And so when we were growing up, we were, all of us was very good. All of my siblings and I were very good in sports. But if we made less than a B, we couldn't play. Really? 
Yeah, the you pan- cannot play. The, uh, not the coach's decision, the parents' decision, right? Yes. By, by school standards, we could fail two, two classes. No pass, no place. You could fail two classes and still be eligible. Wow. But in our household, if you made less than a B, you couldn't play. And so in the eighth grade, as a young man, let's talk about standards, I was a star of the football team. And we were undefeated. And report cards came out. We were getting ready to play for the city championship. Well, and, and, and just a level set for our audience, city championships in Texas is like the Super Bowl probably anywhere else. I mean, Absolutely. Texas football – reign supreme right absolutely absolutely and so people uh when i say people she took me off the team and a week before the game and and from the principal to the athletic director everyone came over to my house to convince my mom to let me play and my mother would say to them and i hear it even ringing in my ear today no the standard is the standard (laughs) the standard is the standard and i remember the comment coming from me and I think, Ma, how could you do this to me? You're not fair. And I said, Mom, I'm going to play in the NFL one day. Mm. And her reply to me was, do you know what NFL means in this house if you make less than a B? I said, no, ma'am. She says, not for long will you be playing. <laughs> right? And she was right. And so fast forwarding, uh, fast forwarding, actually not planning in that game was one of the greatest life lessons of my upbringing because my mother was right. And all of my friends observe that. And when leaders, when I say that, when leaders don't have standards and hold people to those standards, not only do, do they fail the team, but they also fail themselves. Mm. And so with my mom, she said, she talked to me about how much she agonized about making that decision as I got older. But she, she looks at me now and she says, I know that was the right call. Mm-hmm. And she says, as you grow up, you're going to have to make same calls with people you lead but will you hold them to the standards? So we grew up in a house of standards and not only just grades, keep cleaning up, housekeeping, everything around the house. Well, I'm sure you could write a book bestseller just on your upbringing. <laughs> uh, and we won't do it justice here in a little bit of time we have, but really quick, Fort Worth, Texas. Tell What was it like growing up in Fort Worth? I, I, I'm not sure. I know it's in the, the DFW, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, yes. but I'm not sure if I've ever spent any time in Fort Worth exactly. What, what was it like? It was I mean, one word country. <laughs> and, so, and, and, you know, it was uh, it, it's not the big city uh, stockyards. We would go to the rodeo every year. That was a big thing. Fat stock radio rodeo is what it was on the north side of town. Horses. It was nothing to see a horse riding down the road. Uh, really? Cowboys. And we all wanted to be cowboys growing up. And I don't mean Dallas Cowboys. Right. All right. <laughs> Well, and I imagine barbecue is big in Fort Worth, Tech. Well, probably all things beef, I imagine. Oh, yeah. well, is there, uh, before we move on to your professional journey, is there a certain restaurant, hole-in-the-wall place, or barbecue joint, or you name it, that was iconic and, and played a big role in your upbringing? Not, not, not coming up, but when I got to college, there was a place, uh, Prairie View and m uh, historically black university and colleges where I graduated from. They had a place called Bruno's. And, and what they were famous for was a Bruno baked potato. It was a big barbecued baked potato. And you'd line up to get that baked potato when you're in college. And, and, and it just resonated, right? You'd save up all week to go get you that one baked potato a week. And so that's what resonates with me. Bruno's, I love it. Uh, and gosh, lean times as college mm-hmm. students. I can remember yeah. I, I bust tables 
in one in one of my jobs through college, and you know, made twenty dollars uh, maybe on a good shift after sure. you know the tip outs and stuff. And we mm -hmm. had to find a way to make that last a long time. So uh, right. baked potato sounds great to me. <laughs> All right. So let's shift gears a bit. Uh, your professional journey, you know, again, 30 successful years and then some at Goodyear where um, I don't remember the exact numbers from what the earnings were when you began and, and the billions of dollars we grew to by the time you wrapped up your career there, but tons of growth. Let's talk about a couple of key positions there or elsewhere that mm -hmm. uh, really helped shape your worldview. Absolutely. I started out with Goodyear as a management trainee, and I was actually on third shift, actually, in what's called the Banbury's, and it's a real dirty area. And I learned the core elements of being a good leader coming up in that position, right? I was on third shift, uh, working with the union, strong union, United Steelworkers Union. And that's why I started to make my mark as a, as a young leader uh, progressing through Goodyear. So if I could really quick question, Billy, I think for some that may not get it, and, and, and really for my clarification, when you're a management trainee, you're on the management side of the table, right? That's correct. And, and that means you're not on the union side of the table. So I imagine there were some early lessons learned in your career of how that worked, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a bit of bargaining when I say that, give and take. But more importantly, when dealing with the unions, right, it's, it's important to make allies, not adversaries. Mm. And you do that by earning the trust, right? And, and when I say that, one of the things that I quickly learned was there's two rights, right? When you start earning the right to change, it's a technical right, okay? And the cultural right. Mm. The technical right is I give you a check. I give you work instructions. I give you a job. Just go do your job. Those leaders, they don't last long. The cultural right is respect, trust, understanding differences, embracing differences. And when you actually earn both rights, the technical right and the cultural right, most unions will become allies with you. Hmm. And so for me, that's what I did. I was very deliberate around how I communicated. I was very deliberate around not only letting people know what they own and in the process. And that's how I built relationships with unions. Hmm. I love that. Uh, you know, far beyond just manufacturing plants, I think if we all work to create more allies rather than adversaries, the world would be a much better place, right? Especially being deliberate about it, which is what kind of what you're painting. All right. So again, key positions that shaped your worldview. What else comes to mind? And then we're going to get to your key eureka moments. So as I, I rose to the rank from my area manager trainee, I actually moved to being a specialist or a production specialist that talks about improvement and efficiencies. And that was my job. And then I got tapped on the shoulder to run a small business center or department. And that was a lesson because I was so young and the people that hired me and trained me were now reporting to me. Hmm. And that was difficult and a valuable lesson learned there going back to my upbringing standards. I was trying to get people to like me. Mm. I wanted to be liked and instead of focusing on being respected and trusted. But that started with me, right? There's two things that I learned in that role. One was around, what do people follow? People follow credibility and capability. Mm. As a leader, what do children follow? Credibility and capability. Mm. And so as a leader, then I realized, you know what? I'm not trying to be friends with them. I'm trying to be a leader. I want to be very clear, and you're going to hear the word deliberate a lot, 
Yep. Very clear on what people own, because what I realized in the absence of ownership comes blame. And when people don't know what they're owning, you're not deliberate about it as a leader, they start blaming you for their mistakes. Mm. And, and at that point, when I, when I talked about credibility and capability, and, and I'm going to go to deliberate ownership. As a young person, I realized I'm going to have to be deliberate around what everybody's, what everybody owns in the strategy. Mm. And, and it was interesting. People, my friends tried me. Oh, yeah. They would come to meetings late. They wouldn't, uh, I'm serious. Oh, they wouldn't show up to meetings. And, and it was just, you know, it, it, it was really tough. The first six months in that role, it was tough for me. Uh, and, but it wasn't long that I caught on. And going back to my mother's lesson, the standard is the standard, right? The standard is the standard. And that, that, you know, that bit of clarity makes things a little bit easier, right? Absolutely. So you, in hearing you describe those early days at Goodyear, and even if they were tough early days, it, it seems like to me that leadership would be better in other, in other companies, manufacturing otherwise, if folks kind of started on the plant for doing, you know, doing what they eventually would manage, I, you know, that was that a big benefit to your career with Goodyear? Well, that was a benefit, uh, understanding, right. What I was expecting others to do, but the greater benefit is also is everybody needs a coach. Mm. And when you're starting to go through your ranks, be humble about that. Uh, ask for that help. Because you know what? Bill Belichick has a coach. Mm. Although he coaches others, he has a coach. Right. And, and so everybody needs a coach to help you see your blind spots, to help you navigate, right? The, the worst thing I think uh, leaders can, the worst approach is to think you know enough to know you're right and not being willing to learn to know when you're wrong. Right. Because yep. now you're going to keep doing what your old paradigms are. You're going to keep going down that road and you're not willing to change, you know, and, and quickly what I realized when I became that young manager manager was, you know, I, I tell people I had 13 degrees, right? I, I have 13 degrees. And I think you're pretty smart. I said, Absolutely. I was smart enough to earn two and hire 11. Okay. <laughs> and I use all 13 of them because you know, I'm not strong in some of those places. I love it. Speaking of not strong, I heard a phrase the other day. I don't think I was on a show. I think it was a private conversation and, and it could have been a little bit of negotiation. It could have been just something we were, we were doing numbers and uh, I made the comment, Hey, I'm not math. I need a calculator. And then yes. the, the, the person I was with said, well, I'm not good at public math. So yes, let's grab that calculator. <laughs> so it was really a lighthearted moment, but you know, we all have our weaknesses. That's right. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think one of the things you're speaking to is that outside eye, right? We only, you know, you can have, you can be Bill Belichick and have all the rings he's got. You can be Michael Jordan and have all the rings he's got. You can be Ric Flair and all those wrestling right. championships, but they're always, there's someone that, that sees you from the outside with a different perspective and always can see something that you cannot see simply because we're human. Right. And we can only be so self-aware, right? Absolutely. And, and when I look at, you know, and, and the best of the coaches understand that they embrace the fact that success, it's required as you have others around you. And, you know, and I was, I, I look at a lot, I read a lot of books and I look at a lot of video. I try to read two books a month, two books a month. Uh, and Man, that's, is that, that's is that the goal. standard. 
Is that, that the standard? Is the standard. Uh, when I don't hit that mark, I feel guilty, right? It's like uh, on a diet and eating that cake. <laughs> and I feel guilty, okay? And so for me, uh, I just want to share uh, something I learned uh, last month in some of my reading. I was reading something around Nick Saban. And, and they were talking about his process and his standards. And he says, you know what? I will tell you, people think I'm so hard-nosed that I don't accept failure. And he says, you know what? No, as an individual, you are allowed to fail. That's just part of the process, mm. right? But what you're not allowed to do is intentionally make decisions that cause the team to fail. Mm. See, you, you can't fail because failure, and, and I was reading, failure is leased. It's not owned. And you have to pay rent every day on success. That's that commitment. But the process of being successful has to be owned. I love it. All right. I love that. So one, and there's, I know there's 30 years of good year, all kinds of different roles and, and leadership positions and results. I know that we could probably dedicate a whole series to that. Let's talk about, you know, you, as I mentioned on the front end, you led North American manufacturing for the company. You also served uh, in that chief diversity and inclusion officer role. How do those, you know, really senior level roles uh, you know, shape how you view the world? I think when you look at it, and I'm going to give it an example, uh, as a senior leader, you, it's not about you. And so you have to move or be, or be capable of moving from being the pitcher to the pitcher frame. And so what I mean by that is it's your job not only to help build strategy and, and, and deploy it, but you have to enable it. You have to work for the people rather than the people working for you. Hmm. And, and, and just because you get to that role, don't make you a boss. Right. Right. That's not a definition of a boss is not telling people what to do. It's enabling people so they can do. Hmm. And, and that's the role. And then governing, that. though, you have to govern and and hold people accountable uh, that you, you can't escape that. And, but most people, they want to be held accountable. Right. They want to own it. Mm. You know, they don't, they don't want the pass. You know, I heard it put by several people uh, in my career that, you know, 80, 90% of, of a workforce, they want to win, right? They want to win. They may not have the know-how, they may not have the tools, they may not have the skill sets, or they might have to, you know, uh, polish and, and work at some of the behaviors, but really mm -hmm. internally, they really want to win. Do you subscribe to that? The majority today, I was with one of my clients. I spent the entire day with them. Great team, but they're struggling. And I sit in the room with the leaders and they haven't, they didn't do three things. They didn't define winning. They haven't aligned themselves to win and they have no visual type management to let people know if they're winning. And so when I say that, it's not the people that's failing the organization, it's the leaders. And, and when I walked on the shop floor today, I hadn't been there in a couple of months. All of the hourly people and the frontline workers, they were running up to me, right? They've got the ideas, but when they presented the ideas, the company didn't have a structure or a process to actually grow those ideas or to implement them. And so it wasn't the, the people it's the leaders that were at fault. And at the end of the day, that's what we got to. Right. Yep. It's, it's, yeah. Often it's not the people. The people want, people don't want to intentionally fail. Right. So you, 
you've already been sharing lots of eureka moments uh, earlier in your career and then and then uh when you're at, at the top of goodyear and now even when you're doing some consulting what else when you, when you think of those your powerful eureka moments what else comes to mind billy well for me I, I, these are things that are people people gravitate to being valuable if you make people visible they'll make you valuable and so what i see well, my eureka moment is uh, embracing differences. When you talk about diversity and inclusion, embracing differences, and people always gravitate, most often gravitate, when you think of diversity and inclusion, you're thinking black, white, you're thinking male, female, right. you're thinking of those type of things. Diversity of thought, right? You know what, Scott, if you're in a room with a lot of your friends, and you're a Cleveland fan, and one's a Dallas fan, and one's a pitch, there's diversity. Right, that's right. Right, and so there are differences. Right. And you embrace those differences. And I learned that one part of the journey of my career, uh, one of the stories, I went to Tyler, Texas, and I show up uh, and, I, and I'm going there to be the assistant plant manager. They didn't have any minorities on their executive staff. I show up on Monday as the assistant plant manager and I'm scared to death. Really? It's in Tyler, Texas. They're having some issues. They're having tension racial issues. And on, on Wednesday, they take their plant manager out and tell me I'm the acting plant manager until they hire someone. Hmm. Now, the first thing I did was pray. Okay. <laughs> Cause I was scared. And hey, that's death. a strategy, right? That was a strategy. That's the best strategy <laughs> I had at that point. But more importantly, the question I asked myself is why would they follow me? I didn't say that they were bad. I asked myself, it was an inward, inward look. And what I do is I had meetings every day with 30 people, 30 people to get to understand what was the current reality. But what I finally realized is the fact that they were coming in talking to me, they immediately started embracing me, right? Because everything they brought in those meetings, for the most part, I was implementing, I was helping. And, and what I did, it wasn't about those little ideas. I made them visible. Mm. I made their opinions feel valued. I'm, and, and that's what started to happen. And all of a sudden, that plant started to, I mean, they were knocking it out of park. And instead of being an interim plant manager, and six months later, I'm running the plant. Four months after that, I get promoted to the world's largest tire plant. Wow. And that, and, and that as you said, shared pre-show, that was in Oklahoma. Is that right? It was in uh, Lawton, Oklahoma. And world's largest tire plant at the time. They made 65,000 tires a day, uh, 3,000 people. Wow. Uh, Round and black and out the back, as you absolutely. say, right? But that's what it used to be. And then when the quality standards came in, it wasn't just about the numbers. The, the customer wants what the customer wants. And as a young leader, you know, I was really, these were some flaws of mine from a leadership standpoint, beyond the numbers, mm -hmm. right? You know, as a young person, I wanted numbers round and black and out the back. Just keep right. the tires flowing, right? At this point, no. What are the specs? What does the customer want? And, and, and you know, you have to meet the customer need, but also you have to meet the needs of the people that are making the tires. Yeah. Well said. Not all about quantity. I love that. Right. But I do, I do love that phrase. I, I think, yeah. you know, th those, are, those are the type of little phrases yeah, Laurent, it, it's, it seems like it's easier for folks to, to wrap their head around it and embrace it. And then all of a sudden it becomes like a, a daily expression, a part of the culture, you know? So I, I've gravitated to that myself. So, and you've got lots of them, Billy, well, you Scott, bring. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Another part, though, uh, that another part that I like to express is when I get up in front of uh, people and and I get on podcasts, right? And people read a lot of the articles and they think about Billy's been successful. And I always say, what qualifies me to be on this podcast with you? It's not the successes I had. It's the failures that I overcame. Mm. It's the adversity, the lessons learned. That's what got me to say when I stand in front of a a crowd or I'm going to coach an organization, it's how I help them overcome adversity. The lessons learned on how to deal with adversity, how how to scientifically think do effective problem solving. That's because I learned how to overcome failure, mm. not because I was so successful. Right. That's an excellent point and distinction. Now, I want to talk about what you're doing now, but really quick, one final question related to kind of your rearview mirror. So diversity and inclusion, you know, those two words go together all the time. And of course, we hear about DEI, the acronym as well. Mm-hmm. I had someone tell me once on a, a podcast, um, the powerful story. I'm not remember his name, but he, um, he immigrated from Korea mm-hmm. and was working for some big U.S. companies. And he was talking about how the companies were great at, at ensuring diversity hiring practices, right? But they really were terrible at mm-hmm. uh, an inclusive culture. Can you speak to that? And, 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 and do you observe similar dynamics out there in corporate America? Yes. Diversity is, number, is not a number. It's an action, right? It's an ownership. It, it's right. You see it. You know, you, you see it, you feel it, and it's embracing differences. You know, you do just as much harm by hiring an, uh, an incapable minority than you do not fill in that job. Mm. And so what, what I mean by that diversity is, is what type of processes you have that put people on an even playing field and, and saying, you know what, if you're not in the meeting, you're not in the deal. So how do I get someone on that interview panel so that they can present themselves Right. And, and most often when you get when you get that diversity in the room, you see it, you feel it. Right. Because the consumer that are buying your product, they're diverse. Mm. And, and when what I've noticed, this was just just yesterday. All right. So, Billy, now that we've uh, taken some time kind of looking uh, in your past journey. Right. And and we'll talk about it in a minute because you could write a whole series of books. And for some reason, Liberty tells me, uh, tells me you got one already in the works. We'll talk about that in, in a second. I'd love to know better of what you're doing now with uh, linked Excel. So tell us what is a business operating systems architecting firm? So what we do is we work with companies. Uh, we work with note printing Australia, make the passports and currency for Australia, uh, work with PPG, and currently we're working with Continental Structural Plastics, uh, which is uh, now Tejin, uh, and they make uh, like composite parts for the Carvet body. And what we do is we go in and, and build an operating system, a daily management system tailored for their environment. And so it's not just, it, you, you, you know, the Toyota production system, and instead of being cookie cutter, it's not a cookie cutter approach. We walk in, we go in and work with the team, and build operating systems to run their day-to-day business 24-7. Man, okay. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how much they can benefit from, you know, we, we don't like to claim more than two decades of experience around here at Supply Chain Now, which I know you we <laughs> talked about that before, but your wealth of experience mm-hmm. and leadership and getting stuff done and getting results and meeting 
that standard, which of course mm-hmm. has been so important from your your uh, upbringing all the way up through your career. So I bet mm-hmm. I bet you've got uh, several full plates of work there, huh? Absolutely, and it's going so well. And I think I think for me personally, I know it's rewarding to see that growth, that internal growth in those organizations. Uh, and it's not it's beyond the bottom line, right? It's it's beyond the P and L. It's a culture change. Uh, and that culture change, it, it's 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 twenty four seven. You see the rewards on the people's face, and and you know, and, and it moves from uh, celebrating individuals to embracing processes. So you you build evangelism around how you're running your company, and that's what's satisfying. Love it, man. I love it. All right. So one more question, and then we're going to move to your your constant studying of leadership. Mm-hmm. So when you think of uh, so any companies out there, any business leaders might be listening. What is um, what's a, a couple of traits of kind of an ideal company you might work with uh, via Linked Excel? Well, in uh, lots of we, we work with companies that are struggling to deploy strategy and, and tie strategy to tactical execution. And we help companies manage the intersections, uh, manage the intersections of their business. And often cases we walk into companies, they're silos. And so their intersections are collisions, not connections. Right? <laughs> and so, and, and, you know, it's like we build kind of a GPS uh, type mentality that you flow to where the constraint is. And by doing that, and once you eliminate the constraint, uh, you, spend a, uh, you spend your time uh, uh, as far as problem solving, uh, eliminating constraints, flowing, uh, eliminating the gnats, right? The things that frustrate right. organizations. And so that's what's what, what building a strategic deployment process and making sure everybody knows what they own in the strategy. Right. I love that. Okay. And the gnats, man, they're small little <laughs> things that are really small, but man, they sure are aggravating and can ruin your afternoon. Yes. <laughs> okay. Especially here in the Southeast where mm-hmm. it's been a little while, but, uh, back when, back in those, those years where all your friends were getting married and it seemed like every weekend you were at a, at a, at a, uh, a wedding. I remember a couple of those down in, in Savannah and the low country of South Carolina and, and then in the uh, afternoons and those things called no seams. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> small, tiny little bug. Again, they ruined your day. Okay. Yes. So Billy, if I've picked up anything, through the half dozen or so episodes we've had, we've been fortunate to do together and get to know you better. You are a, uh, a constant study in leadership and uh, in, in not only, you know, all that you've done, but you, it's like you have two books a month. It's all your observations. Uh, it's, it's what you learn when you sit down with clients or colleagues or other, you know, keynotes, you name it, but you're constantly study. It, it appears to me at least leadership. So we'll talk about it a little more. Mm-hmm. And I, and the first question for you, is well, I'll tell you what. I want to. I want to add a little question. Why is it so important to constantly learn new things and and really constantly study new ways that folks lead? It, it, you know, the only constant in life is change. That's the only constant. If you're not evolving, you're dying. Hmm. And even if you're a parent, if you're not evolving, I, you're dying. Right? It's it's my son and I were FaceTiming today which ended with him asking for money, but you know, it was a great conversation. <laughs> but what, what you learn, think about social media and from my generation to my son's generation and what I'm doing in business. He's right. my mentor. And that's the evolution of learning and, 
and right things are going to change and if i ask my son what's an eight track tape he, what are you talking about <laughs> right and so and, and so if i was stuck in the eight track tape days then i wouldn't be moving forward and so the evolution of learning is progression mm. it's and it's not just reading books it's what i see right it's it's in it, not being afraid or ashamed or too too proud to ask why you know my favorite question as a leader and, and my people tell me, uh, my people that I've led or partnered with me, I'd ask them, so what do you need from me? They hated that question. <laughs> now, I would say not what do you want from me, right? If I had a car, I want a Bentley. I need right. the ride to work, right? And so <laughs> I, I, what, do you, what do you need from me? And once I provided what, what was needed, it came down to what they accepted. Hmm. And then the second question was, why do you accept that? Why do you accept people quitting early? Why do you accept people not wearing their personal protective equipment? Why do you accept? Because what you accept, you can't change. Right. What you accept becomes a standard. So I'm constantly learning. And you know what? Standards are not monuments. Right. You change them. You upgrade. Right. How do you upgrade? You learn. Hmm. I love that. You mentioned being a parent earlier. Uh, my kids are... I, I, um, a little bit younger, I believe my oldest is in middle school. And I learned today, you know, my lesson learned today is that it's highly embarrassing to middle school daughters when I crank up the 1980s rock and roll right as she's getting out in car lines. She doesn't like that. Doesn't like that. Not cool. Uh, <laughs> Not cool, Dad. <laughs> All right. So sticking with leadership, let's talk about some excellent leaders that you've had the pleasure of working with or, or um, they work for you or you may work to, for them mm -hmm. who give us a couple names and what made them such exceptional individuals. Larry Robbins. Uh, Larry Robbins was my production manager. He was the greatest influence in my career. Wow. I was a young manager. I really didn't know how to lead and he would, he would invest in me. He would come by and take me on a, a walk every morning. But what, what, what the walk was, it was around establishing leadership standards, uh, learning how to treat people. And I remember I was meeting with someone and I was screaming and I was cursing and he just stood around the corner and he came back around. He goes, you know, how do you feel? And I thought, I feel good. He goes, really? And he goes, how do you think the people are, that were watching you feel that are following you? Right. Right. And he talked about the leadership example and he, he wrote me up. He's the only person ever in my career to write me up. And it, one, I, he wanted me to have zero losses to the customer, which was in, I thought was impossible. And he, he wrote me up and he goes, you want me to compromise? And he goes, do you think it's impossible or it's difficult? And mm -hmm. I, I would say, Larry, it's difficult, almost impossible. He said, then it's achievable. And after he wrote me up two, two months, two months in a row, we had zero losses. And, 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 and so those lessons that Larry taught me about not only setting expectations, holding people to those expectations, but also giving them what they need. And he would hold me to those standards. And, you know, I wouldn't even want to pick up the phone. I'd see his name and call ID. When he wrote me up, I didn't want to pick the phone up. I'm like, I don't even want to talk. To <laughs> and uh, he took me out. We actually went out to dinner and um, he, he says, let's stop. Let's go to dinner. And he pulled, he says, why do you think I come to work? And I said, he says, I work for a corporation of one and it's not Goodyear. He says, mm. it's my family. 
He says, after work, my relationship with you is different. He says, so see these coins in my pocket, Billy? And he says, they all have something in common. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, read it. And I said, what? He says, they all say in God we trust. And he says, so that's why I'm coming to work. And so I never forgot that Larry would say you work for a corporation of one and that's what your family and the people you love and don't ever lose sight of that. And my son would say to me, dad, you know what? I remember someone asked you once, how do you have time to coach AAU? And you replied, I don't have time to golf. Right. And so you have choices. You and I always migrated to my family. Right. Right. Because that's the true corporation. And so that's what Larry taught me. You know, I love that great leader. I love that. You know, you're talking about you always have choices. I heard it put well one time that if you ever want to really figure out what your priorities are in life Mm -hmm. and and, uh, you know, cutting through all the fluff and really know is check your calendar and check your checkbook. That's right. That's where your priorities are, truly. So there's always a choice. That's right. Um, And there's one other guy I'll be remiss of, Greg Guy. Greg Guy is the guy that hired me out of college. Now, and and he doesn't tell a story. And the reason why he doesn't tell a story, because he doesn't want to paint the young Billy. He didn't want to paint the young Billy in a bad light. So what happened was when I interviewed for the job, I went with my college fraternity brother. And we both claimed expense reports, but we drove one car. <laughs> Afterwards, I get a call on Sunday from Greg and, and, and Greg says, you know, young man, we made, you know, you got you made it to the finals. But we saw two of we, you saw two of you get out of a car and we don't want to offer you to that you guys a job because of what we observed. And I, I stopped the call. and I said, excuse me, sir. Let me start by saying thank you for the interview. But please don't penalize Troy, for what I did. That was his sister's car. I did that. And I want to say thank you for the interview. I've learned a valuable lesson here. No excuses. Thank you. And I'll talk to you later. And I hung the phone up. And he called me back 30 minutes later. He goes, this is with Goodyear. Young man, that's not the answer I expected. Really? That's not the answer I expected. I thought you were going to. He goes, and by the way, you were the finalist, not the other guy. I want to hire you. And right. And wow. so what, 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 he, what he told me was nobody, everybody has something, right? Everybody has some things they're dealing with. He became a mentor and coach for me. It's fat. And guess what? He became my mentor, him and Larry, as I went through Goodyear. And then Greg ended up reporting to me. Really? And we were at an AOP meeting once. And he says, it was funny. We had a great relationship. Although I was there, he was still my mentor. And, he, and I said, I, and he was up next, and I was going through him. It was pretty rough. He says, now, listen, if you get on me pretty tough in this meeting, I'm going to stand up and say, I said, I left your butt in college. I should have never hired you. <laughs> and so those people, mentors stay in your life. And so those yeah. are the people that taught me character traits beyond management traits. I love that. And I know, I know there's plenty of other characters and personalities in your journey. We'll have to have you back and talk more about that. And I think we'll have some opportunities coming up, but we'll save that for a later time. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, it goes without saying here in late 2019 and 2020 and end you know, through 2021 and certainly probably going into the, the, the near future. Challenging times doesn't do it justice because it's, it's challenging in a lot of the common challenges that are always there, right? Always there in industry. But then you've got all these unique 
challenges based on kind of where we are with the pandemic, where we are with innovation and, and our, some of the issues of the day and, and, and then some. So if you had a room full of organizational leaders that are all stra- uh, scratching their heads and looking for some, some universal truths or, or some advice, what would you, what would you, what were some uh, pieces of advice you'd, you'd offer up that room? First, I'm going to ask them, how do they show up? As a leader, how do you show up? And then uh, before we get into the strategy, are you going to do it to the team or with the team? Mm. Right? Because you know what? Extreme ownership. And it, it's our strategy, not your strategy. And so as, as, as the leader, those are two things. How do you show up? And the second one is, are you going to do it with the team or to the team or with the team? Right. And, and so with these leaders, in, and then I want to understand the strategy. And then I would give them the secret of success, the formula for success. Strategy plus execution equals results. And then they would look at me like, that's nothing earth shattering. And I would say to them, but do you know why most strategies fail? Remember, strategy plus execution equals results. They fail because people don't know what they own in the strategy. Hmm. And so how deliberate are you at being extremely clear on what what the strategy is, who owns what in the strategy, and how are you executing? And I'd ask them one question. If you went to a football game, basketball game, whatever, and you're late, and you get there in the second quarter, you've got your popcorn, what is the very first thing you do when you get your seat? You look at the scoreboard. Right. You want to know if you're winning. And often the scoreboard is not a display of what the score is. It tells the coaches what they have to do next. If it's fourth and one, what are you going to do? A third and one, you're likely going to hand the ball off. Right. Right. If you if it's if it's four, third and ten, you're likely to pass. And so those scoreboards, what's your scoreboard in your company? What lets people know if you're winning or losing? What's the rally call? And that's what I would tell a room full of leaders. I love that. And and when I think of a scoreboard versus a wall of metrics that you find in some plants. You know, it's easy to, you could spend an hour looking at a wall of a hundred different metrics and not sure if it's, if it's been a good day or bad day or good week or bad week. When I think of a scoreboard, as you paint it, you've got several pieces of key information. Mm -hmm. It's very limited, Mm -hmm. but it's very powerful in what you need. Mm -hmm. And, and how important is that to direct your attention at those, you know, just a few metrics rather than a whole wall, right? Absolutely. And we, we own the scoreboard. We, even the fans, Right. We right. own the scoreboard and that's how powerful it is. And, and I often ask if you were bowling, if you if there was a curtain in front of you and all you heard was a loud noise, you don't know how many pins you knocked down. So what do you do next? <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> that is a good one. So let's talk as we start to kind of come down home stretch. I appreciate that the hour or so we've spent with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know how busy you are, Billy. Let's talk about. Because somehow you're finding some time. Maybe you got some clones, Billy Taylor. Because you, you got beyond a, a burgeoning business and all the uh, speaking that you do, you got some really cool projects coming up. Uh, let's talk about the book that is set to release in a few months. Tell us about this. So the book is with McGraw Hills publishing the book. Uh, we've been working on this book with some really credible people with credible uh, practical examples in the book. But the title, the title of the book is called "The Winning Link." how to define, align, and execute winning strategies in business. And so it's a step-by-step process on really some of the things we've talked about. 
how to be deliberately clear on what you want to achieve at every level of the organization, how to be deliberate around who owns what and to be deliberate around how you practice your day-to-day standard work. And so right. it's, it, it, it's, it's really a practitioner's guide to being successful in business. And I don't care if you're a mom and pop a donut shop or, you know, you're uh, this big Fortune 500 company. Uh, this book is applicable. And it has some funny stories in it and real life f- examples of failure and overcoming failure. Love it. And we're still waiting. I think tentatively scheduled to hit book stands in early December, I believe, right? That's right. That okay. Mm-hmm. So folks, stay tuned. Uh, we'll, we'll give updates. We'll probably do some giveaways here at Supply Chain now. I look forward to Absolutely. celebrating, which I know is going to be a home run book that's well received by, by all. Let's, so that's not the only project you've got coming up. We're excited yeah. here at Supply Chain Now, Billy. Yes. Uh, as we've been growing and we look for been there, done that leaders that have just truckloads of advice and, and observations that um, are, are readily consumed by others and also are wonderful storytellers. And that's just the, the tip of the iceberg with you. But we've got a little podcast series we're going to be launching with you here, right? Yes, sir. We're partnering up with Supply Chain now. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to launch a, a really engaging, interactive podcast, you know, parlaying on the great foundation you've already built, and I'll be joining the team. And so you'll be seeing uh, a podcast with myself and with some very engaging uh, guests and practitioners, industry practitioners. And I've had a little sneak peek at some of the show concepts, but <laughs> Billy's got a slew of them. And, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to get really creative and it's going to, it's going to showcase leadership in, in a variety of different ways and, and stories and overcoming you know, all the, the speed bumps we have in life and then some, or uh, enjoying and, and continuing success, you know, because Billy, my hunch and, and someone that comes from you know, your track record, once you have that taste of success, you can't just do the same things. That's right. Because the challenges change a little bit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I have a, a targeted type of uh, guest that's going to be on the show and uh it's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, from LeBron James's high school coach to there's some just an exciting people that are anxious to tell their story. And it's beyond uh, the game of basketball. It's beyond what they did. And so that's what it's going to be. It's going to be fun. Love it. I'm excited. You know, this has been in the works for a, a ways. And you've got a bunch of, as we as we've talked about, a bunch of projects but we're excited to launch that in the next couple of months here. So folks stay tuned for a lot more information, but Billy, I'll tell you that the hour has gone by fast and yes. I feel like we're leaving so much on the table. So I'm looking forward to these future conversations already, but how can, you know, based on your uh, board work, your keynote work, your consulting business, uh, of course, the coming book, the podcast series, all of the stuff you're doing, how can folks connect with you? If there's uh, you know, if they want to learn more. Well, really to learn about LinkedXL, that uh, you go to the www linkedxl.com that's the website you can see more about that company and kind of what we do but for me linked uh linkedin is i answer my own uh messages i read my own messages especially on the weekends i get back with people i love interacting with people through linkedin so my preferred method of is linkedin you know just find billy taylor on linkedin i love it i love it okay so i'm looking forward 
to uh, a lot more conversations like this, a lot more conversations from, from your guests, a lot more lessons learned, and a lot more Billy Taylor. So big thanks to Billy Taylor, again, CEO and president of Linked Excel. Look forward to seeing you again real soon, Billy. Thank you. And thank you for having me again. And to everyone out there, thank you for joining us. You bet. Okay, folks, I tell you, we're just scratching the surface. I know it from firsthand experience with Billy here. Going to enjoy, if you did, if this conversation wasn't enough, good news, there's going to be a lot more coming. <laughs> so there's something, there's something, uh, a new, new lesson learned with each, each conversation we spend here with Billy Taylor. Be sure to connect with him on LinkedIn. Be sure to check out Linked XL. More news on the book and the podcast to come. In the meantime, if you, you enjoy this conversation, be sure to find us at supplychainnow.com. Of course, wherever you get your podcasts from, subscribe so you don't miss a single thing. Most importantly, most importantly, uh, Billy, what was your mother's name? Vera Taylor. Vera Taylor. Okay. So folks, most importantly, do good, give forward, be the change, set the standards like Vera Taylor, mm -hmm. and the world will be a better place. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.